hospita uh, hospitality table at the entrance. Again, that'll be Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Matthew is all about the fact that Jesus brings us into a better kingdom. And so the hope here in this series is you hear this so much that if you were walking down the sidewalk and somebody were to just stop you and say, hey, what's the book of Matthew about? Your, your knee-jerk reaction would be, oh, it's about the fact that Jesus brings us into a better kingdom. And one of the things we mean by this is what we're seeing is Jesus continues to challenge the lies and the assumed ideals and value systems that we hold to and invite us into a new way of life. So, for example, uh, just how many Christians in our nation tend to define happiness and success, you'll find is more in line with the American dream than the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, also, for many of us, how we engage with politics often looks like that of the world. You know, kind of pragmatic ends justifies the means approach to cultural engagement rather than the cross-shaped gentleness, compassion, and sacrificial love that Jesus models. And so Jesus is going to keep challenging these value systems that we just assume, inviting us into his better kingdom. And so now what he is addressing today is he's going to press upon us the importance of what we prioritize in our private life, namely prayer. Prayer. And so as we get into prayer, I recognize this is a really hard subject for a lot of people for many different reasons. I think it may be helpful first just to acknowledge the awkwardness of prayer. We're talking to somebody invisible. It's okay that we can acknowledge that for some of you that may be weird, okay? <laughs> Number two, let's just acknowledge that this is really hard for a lot of people. Um, prayer can be a triggering subject because for a lot of believers, we know it's a vital marker of authentic faith, but then I think most of us would hate for somebody to have a video camera of how much or little we pray when we're in private. Uh, in fact, C.S. Lewis, in one of his letters on prayer, he, he writes, prayer is irksome, irksome. And he says, why is it that we find it not hard at all to stay really focused on a hobby, but yet when it comes to prayer, suddenly we love to look for any excuse not to pray or to get distracted while we pray. And if C.S. Lewis has, finds prayer difficult, then like, it's, we're probably going to find prayer difficult as well. But Jesus loves us. He wants us to grow here. It's really important. And so here's what Jesus desires for us when it comes to prayer. He could uh, sum, up, sum it up in three ways. First, he says, pray alone. Number two, pray the Lord's Prayer. Number three, pray and God will change you. And number one, pray alone. 
Number two, pray the Lord's Prayer. And number three, pray and God will change you. These three things. Okay, so first number one, pray alone. Let's read five and six again. And when you pray, and here he's talking to his disciples or apprentices, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus is saying in the Christian life, there are some things that you should not keep secret. For example, your failures and weaknesses and sins. You shouldn't keep secret. I mean, in the gospel, we have the most resources of any other way of living or path of life to not play act when it comes to who we are, right? Because in the gospel, we know we are sinners and weak people saved by the goodness of Jesus. And so with each other and before God, we should not try to hide and put on a mask about how great we are. We have freedom to really show our stuff to one another. So we shouldn't keep those kinds of things secret. However, there are some things Jesus says we should keep secret, and one of them is prayer. Okay, notice already the upside-down nature, like our natural inclinations and that of the world is let's hide the bad stuff and show the good stuff. Jesus says basically the opposite. Okay, so we, we should keep our, our prayers secret. And what he's getting at here, so notice he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So the hypocrites is his affectionate term for the church leaders or the Pharisees of the day. And the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor. And so what he's saying is the Pharisees, these church leaders, they essentially play act at Christianity or play act at knowing God. And how do you know they're play acting? Because they generally only pray when other people can see them. So people can hear them and see them and be like, wow, you're really good at praying. However, for you, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And so do you see the simple brilliance of Jesus saying, how do you know you're not a hypocrite? Do you have a regular, private prayer life? Okay, this is both really, this provides so much clarity, and it's really hard. And I know I was sharing with uh, the folks on our leadership institute, I mean, when I became a pastor full-time, that quickly exposed how thin my private prayer life was and how much I needed to grow there. And so here are two applications. First, Jesus, he wants to ensure we have a clear differentiation between actually knowing God or authentic Christianity and knowing about God, right, or play-acting Christianity. And knowing God is when we pray in secret, because when we pray in secret, we get no benefit. We don't pray just because of somebody asks us to at a church function or because other people get to hear us. The only real benefit we get when we're in secret is more intimacy with God, right? So between knowing God and knowing about God, and especially for our culture in this area in general, I think there's a particular danger because we love to think, we love to study, and those things are good. The danger is we can grow to love so much studying about God and going to a group and talking about God that we actually neglect to know God ourselves. And so for here, Jesus is lovingly inviting us in to not be hypocrites, especially in a day where, I mean, what's one of the most common accusations you hear against the church? They're hypocrites. So this, this is a great way that we can help, right, diminish the, the accuracy of that charge. So first, Jesus, he wants us to know God and not be play actors. 
But number two, don't you see not just how clear Jesus is, but how loving Jesus is? Because he knows that if you and I don't begin our day centering ourselves in the presence of God and his unrelenting love for us, then we will move out into the world not centered on God, which means we're going to be much more prone to being reactive. And we're then going to move out into the world demanding other people be God to us, which isn't going to happen. Okay, so when we begin the day by centering ourselves in God, on God, this frees us to actually love other people, to be less quick to be irritated, less quick to be angry, to see them as Jesus does, because we've centered ourselves in the reality and presence of God first before we do anything else. Okay, so that's number one. Jesus says, pray, pray alone, pray alone. Okay, number two, he says, now, what in the world do I say when I talk to God? And so here he gives us the structure of prayer and the Lord's Prayer. And this is, he's not so much saying you need to pray these exact words, although that's great. I've done it and continue to do it myself many times. But his greater point is the principles found in this prayer. And so as we go through this, I, I hope you find this as helpful as I have. So we'll just go through and let's look at the principle Jesus has in each one. So first, he says, start off by praying our Father in heaven. And also notice how many times he emphasizes this name Father in the verses 5 through 9 leading up to it, right? Your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you, verse 6. Your Father knows what you need, verse 8. Okay, so he's emphasizing this name Father. So he says, start our Father in heaven. And we hear this, and I think most of us shrug. We kind of go, meh, yeah. Father in heaven, like it just rolls off our tongue as nonchalantly as we sing happy birthday. But for Jesus's disciples, they would have gasped when they heard this because the scholarly consensus is, and we have a lot of recorded prayers from antiquity, there is not one single example of a prayer we have from Jesus's time or in the centuries leading up to it where anybody called God Father. It was always God. And so this would have been shocking because it's almost he's telling people to call Jesus to call God Dad, which is it, it feels too personal. It'd be like imagine if I was out to eat at a restaurant, and I see President, you know, former President Obama walk in. I just walk up to him, I'm like, "Hey, Barack." Th- that would be inappropriate, right? Because of just the, the nature of our relationship and his status. Yet Jesus is saying we get to just go before God and boldly call him Father, and it's a little bit like this. So. Uh, Kelsey's father, he retired in the Air Force, and he retired at the rank of general, so not a low ranking. And when he was general, uh, me and Kelsey and her siblings, we got to fly out to the base where he was serving as base commander at the time. It was on Guam, beautiful territory, by the way, if any of you guys have been there. So we show up at the military base, and we had the nicest house like on the island, I'm pretty sure. It was super nice. And everywhere we went, we were treated with deference. You know, so, oh, you're with General Doucette. Yeah, let me, let me get the door for you. Okay, yeah, let me, yeah, drive, drive away this way, sir. You know, talking to me. It was particularly amusing when I went into the weight room with him because I walk in with him. And, you know, these dudes twice as big and tough as me were just parting like the Red Sea out of my way to let me use whatever equipment I wanted because they knew I was with the general. And so what happened here, because we came in as the general's family member and friend, we came in at the general's level. And because we came in at the general's level, everybody on that base extended us the same courtesy they would have extended to him. And what Jesus is saying is, when you trust in me, when you know me, you come in before God at my level, at Jesus' level. And so when God attends to you, he attends to you with the same care compassion, 
right, honor that he does his own son, which is to say quite a bit. And so when we pray our Father, this is to awaken us to the impossible treasure we have here when we go to pray before God. It's incredible. And also, this is also why it's so important that you know Jesus. Because while God does hear every prayer, there is a special attentiveness he extends to his children. Right? So be, and it's because it's through Jesus that you can come in at Jesus' level. So it's also just a um, a very clear, challenging, but also encouraging word to those of you who may not have trusted Jesus yet. This is why it, one of the reasons why it's so important to know Jesus, because then you get to know God. So, so that's number one, okay? Um, our Father in heaven. Let's keep going. Next he says, pray, hallowed be your name. So to hallow something means to treat it, to set it apart as majestic, pure, and beautiful. So you're start, we're starting our prayers by saying, Father, you alone are set apart as majestic and beautiful. And sometimes you hear this and you think, does God have a self-esteem problem? Like, does he just, he just needs all these billions of people to lift up his deflated ego? But God isn't doing this for himself. He's doing this for you. Because when you and I go to pray, we're, the context we're coming from is the world and in our own head. And when we're in the context of our own minds and the world, our natural disposition is to assume that we are at the center of reality. Okay, not God. And not other people. And so just naturally as, as I go walking around, my default assumption is almost like I'm at the center of the universe and God and other people, they're just mere extras in the feature film that is my life. And so when we pray, God, you are set apart, we get to remind ourselves of ultimate reality that God is at the center of things, not ourselves. And it's, it's not too different from in the 1500s when Nicholas Copernicus, he published his landmark, landmark work in which he <coughs> insisted that Contrary to what humans believe for millennia, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth, but the earth revolves around the sun. This was so, so much of a shift, right, became known as the Copernican Revolution. Is that what it was called? Somebody, did I get it? Or is it <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that revolution. <laughs> right, because it, it changed everything. And so we need to constantly remember, oh, God doesn't revolve around us. Other people don't revolve around us, but we revolve around God. And what this does is similar to what we looked at in the first point with when we go to pray, it just centers us in the reality of God. It reminds us of ultimate reality. It allows us to be far more patient, far more flexible. Okay, because when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're essentially, by implication, we're saying, and my name, my agenda really doesn't matter that much. When we pray, your will be done, my will doesn't really matter that much. Okay, and so we don't have to be so white-knuckled and force other people and or God to bow to our own agenda of how we think things need to go. Okay, so we start by saying, God, you are at the center of reality, and that's far better for everybody. <clears throat> Next, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here, author Rich Biotis is, is helpful. So he points out that often when we pray this, and this is how I found myself praying this section, we often tend to lean more toward the side of it being a prayer of resignation. So, God, there are so many awful things happening in the world and big things that are just— be Sorry, one second. <coughs> so many big, awful things happening in the world that are beyond my control. So just, whatever. I can't do anything about it. Your will be done. But probably what Jesus is getting at here is this isn't a prayer of resignation, but participation. So it's not there's all these big things that I can't control. You do your will. It's there are a lot of big things happening, 
but God, there are so many things that I can do, and only in your power, but only in your power can I do it. So will you empower me to act in my local family, in my local communities, to do your will? And one of the reasons we know this, Jesus is leaning this way, is because of the entire context of the Sermon on the Mount. And the entire Sermon on the Mount is how we make God's will, i.e. heaven, intersect with earth, right? When we do God's will in the context of our relationships. And so when it comes to this section of the, the prayer, should we pray for the, the big things? You know, the things that are just like, well, I, where do I even begin with solving this? Yes. You know, we should pray for things like environmental sustainability. We should pray for justice in the fashion industries, East Asian factories. We should pray for the victims of the war in Ukraine and the millions of people being trafficked, okay, for other people's pleasure. We should pray for those things. However, we should also pray for God to empower us to do what we can only do by the power of his spirit locally. And I think this is particularly needed for us because especially in our social media moment and just how we tend to operate is it's really easy to give lip service to or just virtue signal that like, oh yeah, I'm all about this cause and that, that cause, you know, especially when it comes to people around us who share the common cultural ideals but then neglect to live the Sermon on the Mount in our real flesh and blood relationships. Okay, so it's like we post something on our social media and then we refuse to forgive the person who wronged us and we're still holding bitterness. Okay, and so we need to pray for God to help us be gentle toward the people who are prone to be angry or impatient toward. We need to pray for him to help us pray for the people that we're prone to hate or the people that we actually hate as we looked at a couple weeks ago with love your enemies and pray for them. Okay, we, we should pray for God to help us to, when somebody wrongs us, to instead of responding kind for kind, okay, but to cr as creatively as possible de-escalate the situation and initiate reconciliation. How many marriages and homes and workplaces would that be better if we just applied that principle alone? Okay, and so we pray, God, help me to do by your spirit what I can only do with you helping me. That's your kingdom come. Okay, and then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now here we're praying for provision. And this is great because we don't just pray, we're not supposed to pray these like wispy, non-concrete spiritual things, but Jesus wants us to pray for the day-to-day -day stuff. So pray for your work meeting. Pray for that really hard conversation that you need to have. Uh, Pray in that moment when maybe you don't want to go to community group or church service that day, right? Pray for all the nitty-gritty little things. So that's give us this day our daily bread. Pray your fears. Pray your anxieties. And then in addition, pray for the unknowns. So in here, I, um, uh, a female church leader named Autumn out of Fellowship Denver was helpful for me here, reminding me that we can— we get to pray for the unexpected things because it's often the unexpected that tends to throw me off. Or I'm going throughout the day and like I'm not the most flexible person in the world and suddenly, you know, an email comes in or somebody, it may not even be like sinful or mean, it's just different than what I was expecting and suddenly, oh, well, my whole day is in ashes now. <laughs> like just pray for, like God help me see the unknowns or the unexpected to, as an invitation to walk in your presence and to be the presence of Christ in this moment. That's give us this day our daily bread. Next, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. And so here, forgive us our debts. Here, Jesus is impressing upon us the fact that the, a mark of a maturing disciple 
isn't necessarily that you sin less. It's that you're less prone to hide when you do. Okay, so as you mature, you're much more quick to, if there's anyone else involved, to involve them. And before the Lord, to just open up and name it. And name what you've done or what you are doing. And then just ask the Lord, because he loves to move toward us, not away in these moments. Say, God, I need your empowering presence and mercy to flood this corner of my being. Okay, for some of you, this may be like the same prayer for most of your life, okay, in a particular area. Okay, so, and God loves to forgive. Okay, so invite him in, don't hide. That's the mark of maturity is we, we don't hide these things. As we've also forgiven our debtors, and ooh, here's where it, if that wasn't hard enough, it even gets harder. Essentially, Jesus is saying, like, you, when you continue to hold bitterness, anger, wanting to see someone get their comeuppance, every time you replay that thought, it's like you're erecting a wall brick by brick between you and the Trinity. Because at the essence of who God is, is a God who forgives. And so it's just, it's really hard for us to claim we've received the mercy of God when we refuse to forgive other people. Okay, and so here, similar to the, to the one right before this, I mean, forgiveness, it's not a one-and-done thing. It's often a daily, if not hourly, practice. So just pray, Lord, help me to let go of the need to see this person pay. Help me to stop insisting that this person be God, right? Because only God is never going to let me down. Okay, help me to forgive this individual even when I don't want to. So that's forgive us our debts. So we've also forgiven our debtors. <clears throat> and then verse 13, lead us not into, temp- into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so here, God's calling us to be proactive in terms of the things that we know we're going to be tempted by. Okay, so at the start of your day, at the start of before entering into a meeting or an environment with maybe a particular person, you can pray, and Kelsey's been really good, g- good with me in this in our, in our children. You know, okay, Lord, I know I'm about to enter into a situation where I'm going to feel very tempted to lose patience. Or I'm going to be very tempted to fall back into self-centeredness and just think about my needs and my agenda rather than the human being in front of me. Okay, so pray for those proactively. Maybe it's, Lord, today I'm feeling stressed, tired, or I just, I'm not really feeling a sense of purpose in my life, and so it's going to be easier for me to lust and to treat another human being as an object and not as a precious image bearer. So help me to treat them as someone made in the image of God today. Okay, maybe it's, maybe it's envy, right? Like I know just every time I see this lifestyle or this person, I get really envious of their skills, of their gifts, of the, the life they have that I don't have. Remind me of your kindness today. <clears throat> okay, so that's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so th- the beauty of this is, and I, I started doing this again since studying for this <clears throat> passage is, I mean, you can do this in five, six, seven minutes. And so maybe especially for those of you who have a really hard time praying for many reasons, <clears throat> just start here. Start with the Lord's Prayer and just spend, you know, 20 to 30 seconds on each of those blocks and just go through it and see what God does in you and do it alone, okay? So pray alone. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And then number three, pray and God will change you. Pray and God will change you. <clears throat> so here we're, here we're looking at the end of 
verse 6, where Jesus says, your father who sees you, i.e. sees you praying in secret, will reward you. And he's contrasting this to the reward that the hypocrites or the Pharisees get. So when they pray, their reward happens then and there. Okay, people get to see them pray. People praise them for being super religious and pious, and then that's what they get. But Jesus is saying there is a deeper reward for you when you pray in secret. And so we have to ask, well, what's the reward? And one of the rewards is God does change our circumstances. God does move and does things in people, in ourselves, and in the world around us as a response to our prayer. And we'll see that more in Matthew 7 with the passage, Ask, Seek, Knock. But there's another way, and maybe a way that's more pressing to many of you here, that God rewards you when you pray, and that's that you get God himself when you do this, and because you do, God changes you. And here, I think this, so this happens both when God answers a prayer. So if you're praying for something and then God answers it, what's great about that is you're a lot less prone to just, meh, take it for granted or assume it was because of you. Your life is going to be marked by way more gratitude when you've prayed for it, and then God, it's like, oh, thank you, Lord, for answering that prayer. So helps you not become too boastful or self-centered. But what about when God doesn't answer a prayer? And there are times when you, you pray for something, right? And at the time, you're like, this can only be good if God answers this. You pray and God doesn't, or he, maybe he says no or he says not yet. And sometimes 5, 10, 15 years later, you get the clarity of vision to know, oh, wow, that was actually really good that God didn't say yes to that prayer. In the same way if, you know, I gave my child a donut every time he asked for one, which is a lot, that wouldn't go super well for him, you know, over, <laughs> over months and months. Okay, so there's sometimes hindsight gives clarity, but then there are other times where we enter into deeper waters, and we pray for something where we're thinking, <laughs> I don't know in what universe it would be a good thing, God, for you to say no to this. And you pray and you pray and you pray and God still says no. And you never know why. And so Kelsey and I experienced this pretty recently and so last year we got pregnant with our third child and you know we, we rejoiced like oh my goodness two was a miracle like we're so excited for Titus and Callie to have a sibling. And so wait, we praise, we, you know, we thank the Lord. Any birth is a miracle, right? Any pregnancy is a miracle. So we, we thank the Lord. We prayed for health for the baby. And Kelsey, things felt a little weird. So, you know, Kelsey went in for one of the doctor's appointments, and they, you know, boom, there's a picture of the baby, and there's a heartbeat. And she came home with tears in her eyes, you know, with, and we celebrated that together. And then a couple more weeks went by, and Kelsey went back to the doctor, and we lost her child. And just like any pain, this is it's like really hard to experience the, the pain of something like this unless you've been there. And now our prayers didn't turn. They were no longer gratitude or asking for health. They were just a lot of why. And we kept praying and praying, and, you know, we, we never did, and we never, we, we still haven't gotten an answer to why. But I'll tell you what did happen. God taught us and reminded us of things we really needed to know 
things that things like he God himself also knows what it's like to lose a child. Okay, but he did it willingly when he sent his son Jesus so that our child could live. Jesus willingly gave up his experience of being the beloved son of God in Gethsemane and at the cross so that Kelsey and I could, in those moments of pain, cry out to God in being known that we were being heard at the same level of Jesus and have a father who heard us. We realized in a way that we just never did before that God cares about the unseen and the unknown in a way that so few people do. In fact, far more than the best of us do. The promises in Scripture suddenly became so much more vital. And then he also pressed upon us how comforted, how comforting it is to read his word and to meet him in that, and then also to be comforted by his people, the church, which included many of you who brought us meals, who bought us lunch, who prayed for us. And so I can tell you, and Kelsey will say the same thing, because we kept praying, God gave us a greater perspective. He gave us greater patience. There's a softness in each of us that wasn't there before. He, made, he helped us appreciate the presence of God in a way that we had never before. Greater integrity, greater compassion toward those who are in similar situations. Why? Because sometimes when you pray, it doesn't change circumstances, but often more importantly, prayer changes you. And now we know that, you know, our, our child, b- because of the gospel, is, I mean, now he's with a, a father who's way better than me, and we can't wait to meet that child. And, you know, we're pregnant again with a, a little girl, and she's our fourth child. And one day these three siblings will get to meet the one they never got to meet here on earth. And so pray because God uses it to change you. So some closing applications here. Um, first is just, just put it on your radar that um, coming up the first week in April, uh, our community groups are going to have a special time of praying together as a group. Okay, and so if you're not in a community group, I encourage you to get in one. If you're in one, just encourage you to make as much make it as much of a priority as you would any community group. Um, maybe for some of you, make it more of a priority <laughs> than you would some community groups. And uh, just go to that group, and we get to practice this together, and we're going to plead to the Lord right, as he moves our church into this next season, because that, that week will be our, the first Sunday of our, that'll be our first public service on April 9th, so that'll be August 4th and 5th, just encourage you to prioritize your community group, and also that day, we're also going to practice uh, fasting as a church, because we're going to look at that practice next week in the Sermon on the Mount, and also recognize for many of you, that topic can be very fraught, very weighty, and so just next week, we will go into a lot of considerations for those of you who may have complicated relationships with food or anything like this will be invitationally for those who it, it would make sense to do, okay, and we'll go into more detail on that later as, as a church family. That's number one, just try to prioritize that group first week, April, and second, um, just in light, hopefully you've seen how important prayer is, and so I just, I encourage you, no matter where you're at, just start where you, start where you are when it comes to prayer. For some of you, maybe that just means praying for literally just taking a minute, putting your phone in another room and praying for a minute before you head out the door. Okay, for those of you, it may mean praying 10 minutes. For others of you, it may mean praying five days of the week instead of one or two. Just start where you are, and as you pray alone, as you pray through the Lord's Prayer, uh, why don't you see if also as the years go by, God changes you. Let's pray. <coughs> uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much that I can call you that.
And Lord, I pray if, if our church is anything, uh, help us to be marked by a praying church. Um, do, do that in us by the power of your spirit. Uh, help us, especially for those of us who prayer is really difficult for different reasons, to grow in that in the months to come as a community. It's the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.